welcome to Forward Launch Your SaaS. I'm Kira Woodard, the podcast marketer and owner of Forward Launch. In this series, I sit down with executives whose marketing campaigns have resulted in impressive growth for their startups. In each episode, our guests talk about the one biggest piece of wisdom that they would share with other B2B SaaS marketing execs. Today, I'm sitting down with Alex Balderstone. He's the founder and CEO of Kaiku, a platform that does smart matchmaking for first-time venture funds. Over the past two years, he's grown the company to help with sharing deals with over 300 VC funds, and he's helped quite a few founders to get their first deal through venture capital. So Alex, I'm super excited to chat with you and dig into your background. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to this. Yeah. So tell me how and why did you get into founding Kaiku? Yeah. So our team sort of really came from a background of working with companies like Crunchbase and banking and from a VC fund background. And we launched with one of the Google programs, Google for Startups over here in London, more as a community-based tool when we started. But when COVID happened and the first sort of lockdown happened, we saw much more of this as a remote deal flow tool with AI. And we saw the market change for a lot, what we call emerging venture capital coming into the ecosystem. So a lot of high net networks, family offices, and smaller VCs without the tech to source deal flow in new countries and overseas. And more importantly, with no smart matchmaking, which for us is AI. So mm. we really built out everything from that. And that's how we've been sharing with the hundreds of VCs that we do now. Okay. So this was just kind of an idea that you guys conceived of, like, let's work with VCs. Or did you have some experience with that before? <laughs> a lot of our team did. One of our co-founders, Trish, used to work with a lot of crunch-based data and specifically diversity and VC data across Europe. And the point being there, when you look at the tools that are out there, there really isn't much. And it's Trish came from a data side, but more from the positioning and market side, we saw it was more we sort of stumbled over it. I th- suppose when you say you contact a few hundred VC funds, and they all say, hey, yes, yeah, send us deal flow. And um, you know, there's a problem in the market. So build a solution for it, which is where we moved from. Okay, that makes sense. You kind of used that in the early stages of let me go out, let me test the market, test the waters a little bit, see what these VCs are actually interested in based on what I think they're interested in. And then try to see, yeah, are they yeah, actually interested before you actually build it? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, that, I think that's a huge thing that you've got to look for is, you know, build a solution around the problem that you know exists as opposed to building something for a problem that you know doesn't exist, right? So, <laughs> you know, I, and a lot of people, it still amazes me, and I'm sure it does with you. You meet a lot of people that do the, you know, the far opposite. So, you know, yeah. for us, when we saw that, as soon as we saw that, we thought, right, we're onto something here and there's a long way to go, of course, and there still is, but, you know, let's focus on that as a niche. Yeah, I like that idea of like getting feedback early on and then kind of baking that. It's iterative, into... right? It's iterative yeah. more than anything. Absolutely. So what would you say is the one biggest piece of wisdom that SaaS startup marketing executives should know? It's a really interesting question. And I think a huge part of this is partnerships. And is really how can you leverage inbound and you know outbound that you're doing yourselves to make sure that you're getting good quality leads but equally ones that are converting. I think one of the themes through this will obviously be looking at how we leverage a referral network of over 100 partners. They range from the people you know, like tech stars through to more ground level university, large accelerators, which are getting a lot of the really early deals that come through as well. But that's a, been a really huge thing for us to build that up. Yeah, I would imagine that, you know, venture capital fundraising is kind of a closed community and especially you're in Europe, right? So it would be an even smaller kind of market to try to penetrate into. So 
a hundred people in your network. That's quite a lot. <laughs> that's that's not one it's that quite I a lot. It's, a, it's a lot of heavy lifting. It's a lot of keeping people happy. And yeah. you're right. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. But you know, I, I think a big thing is always keeping that community present. You know, even from a, we've been looking at a lot of this. We look at some partners and think, actually, are they competitive? And then you're thinking, no. You know, especially platforms sort of relate investor relations tools that might do similar things to us but are not we collaborate with them we share product updates we share positioning updates we look at market trends Mm -hmm. and more than anything try and work on twitter linkedin with them to really sort of keep up to the same i suppose you could say trends oh i have so many questions (laughs) a hundred referral partnerships a how did you get there and b how do you manage that more than anything we started my background originally a big part of it not just it was events so, you know, when we started, there was a lot of very in-person activity. We used to run a lot of events in London, Edinburgh, Berlin, Barcelona, a lot of other big European cities to really look at what was going out there to build overseas founders communities, but equally get some of the local funds in to work on that as well. And naturally, two and a half years later, that's translated much more into a niche community that are all operating in the same industry, but move funds, move platforms, and more than anything, if they remember you for the right reasons, which we hope so more than anything else, is that they stick with you and they do. And, you know, that's one of the great things about the industry is, you know, there's a lot of good people out there who are willing to help you on your journey, especially I am a founder at the end of the day. And whilst working in this ecosystem, we're a long way to go as well. So honestly, a lot of it was built up through events, you know, a certain amount of things like this, a lot of content creation as well, and making sure the distribution of that was pretty far ranging. But equally, you know, building up that VC fund network as well, if they saw that we were trying to help them, well, why wouldn't they let us, you know, help other people in their network in the same country? So that was a lot of the build up to it as well. Managing it, we're fortunate to have a partnerships lead who manages that network and sits under our biz dev function to go through. But if you want a simple answer to that, a lot of that is just social media, you know, following the right people on Twitter, following the right people on LinkedIn, making sure you're in the right market maps and making sure you're in the right conversations. So you get remembered out there. Okay. And then there's multiple ways that you're kind of leveraging this network of partners, right? So you said you do social media collaborations with them. Yeah. So what does that typically look like? I'd say more than anything, it's social media is the first step is a lot of the time we get invited or we get put on market maps as in players in the emerging VC space or that are mm-hmm. building new tools that are trying to improve deal flow. You know, our name will come out there. And then, you know, we often jump on the back of that and look at who's collaborating in those posts. You know, where's the input gone? What other, you know, what, who do we not know? You know, why wouldn't we go and talk to someone that we haven't worked with before to explore a little bit more cohesion there? So one side of social media is that. Um, the other is making sure that we've got a long way to go with this, um, but making sure we're a little bit more in their conversations or we're getting mentioned. So again, part of that is, is talking about our story, is talking about the market. I do a lot of panel work, you know, moderating, speaking in events and things like that. And you know, hey, it's not not to say at all that, you know, we're experts of what we do, but it's to say we're talking about trends that we understand and we can only repeat what we see. But a lot of people don't, for one reason or another, you know, focus on this industry emerging VC. So that, that becomes a really big part of it as well. Okay. So your whole company is kind of carving out this, I won't say carving out a new niche, but something similar along those lines, because a lot of what are most VCs doing before and like, how has that changed because Kaiku exists now? It's a really interesting question. And I think one thing I'd start by saying is there's only about 5% of VC funds in the market that use AI. So Mm -hmm. that's supposed to be 75% in the next five years. 
It could take longer. It really depends on the adoption. And we're talking about a market that is pretty traditional, even more traditional than the States, right? Um, We're driven over here in Europe, and especially in the UK, by tax incentives. And we're very, very segmented, very, you know, declustered with how we work as well. So there's not much engagement between other European countries on how we work. A lot of funds will use Typeform or HubSpot form, or maybe something that they've built internally themselves to manage inbound but you know that's not always a good thing you know we typically know lots of funds have got a three or four month backlog to be able to look at deal flow as well so they're not improving their processes nor are they sort of trying to you know look at different markets overseas okay so essentially these venture capital firms they have systems for intaking potential founders but they're not very sophisticated in the sense that they might just be using a simple form or they might have like a big backlog or wait list before they can actually evaluate lots of different companies, which can exactly. cause them to lose out on opportunities. And then you kind of come in with by saying, hey, here's Kaiku. It's like this whole matchmaking platform where you can, it's all managed by us, not by your Google sheet or your type form. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, again, it, we haven't gone out there and trying to build anything overly complex at all. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a simple tool that batch processes deal flow to an investor's inbox. And then if they want to find out more, then they can go on the platform, but they can interact through their email to tell us what they like and what they don't like. So that's really what we've gone out to do. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. For the networking piece of it, you've been sort of growing the company. Like you have to kind of grow your company in two ways, right? Because you have to get those founders on board onto your platform, but you also have to get the VCs. So how are you doing each one of those pieces and how does networking and forming partnerships kind of tie into that? It's a really good question. I mean, as you say, some people look at us and say, hey, marketplace, we're not a marketplace and we've got to be really careful about our focus on the customer at the end of the day. Hmm. On the fun side, there's a lot of referrals and there's a lot of going back to what we said at the beginning. It's a lot of making sure we are the first name that comes out there because they've heard us on a podcast or we've sat at an event or we do moderating or they've seen our logo somewhere more than anything. So there's actually interesting, a lot of free materials we provide as well, you know, even from a pitch deck creation or through to just something that's talking about the market whereby they can cross-refer that to something else. So as an indirect benefit from anything partnerships related, we've got to make sure there's always something captive there. There's a community presence there as well. And it is, you say, really hard to manage a, a really big number of referral partners. So a big thing that comes out of that is making sure they are the right referral partners as right. part of that as well. Are, can we assess if they're in the same startups groups? Have those partners been referred by other partners of ours that are quite close to us? So we know they're a good source for us coming in as well. So I don't want to say there's vetting because we're, you know, we're a pretty open company to say the least. But if we know they're in the right circles, that's a big thing that comes through as well. That's a big part of the, well, both the investor and startup side, but from the investor side as well, if funds are happy with us, they'll cross-refer us to other funds and other partners that they have in different parts of the globe to receive that deal flow. So that's captive audience on the investor side. Startup side, the hard thing here is we want to help as many founders as possible, but the people that pay for the solutions are the investors side of things at the end of the day as well. So There's a lot of data leveraged in the startup side as well, public databases, public registries, and really we built a lot of internal tools as well to allow us, we've got our own CRM to manage that. So really, can we cross-populate those startups and provide the leads to go through, obviously, the AI that comes in at the end of the day to improve 
scouting for funds. You're doing a lot of things. So you're putting yourselves out there in a very general sense, like you're doing podcasts and you're doing networking events, but you're also creating content, but you're also having this huge big referral program. And you're also getting leads and cultivating your network within like the VCs themselves. So how do you manage all of that? And how do you know what to prioritize? Like if you were to start, let's say from scratch, And you had to look at, okay, we know that we've done all of these different channels and we had varying levels of successes with them. And we had a really interesting networking referral program. So of those channels, how would we know where to invest our energy in if we had to like start all over from scratch and do it all again? You're absolutely right. There's lots of spinning plates. I'd split that down into two. One on the startup side is definitely from a referral point of view is really hone in more the right types of founders. Mm. So a big thing from a market point of view at the moment is trying to find the earliest sources of deals and trying to get on the cap table and invest as early as possible. Normally, it's the founders, it's the other funds that will know, and advisors more than anything, will know as early as possible when those startups are fundraising or even before they're fundraising, and sometimes before they're even formed. And so we call that signaling signaling of data to know how people are moving around and trends on social media and things like that. So if we had known more on that as a suppose the facts of that a few years ago, we were definitely positioned a lot earlier on how we interact with founders managing that community. I think the big thing that comes out from that from the startup side is as you say is community presence. Try not to lose people from your events, from your event right signups or from the podcast that you do and people that you interact with. Even mm-hmm. simple things as obviously a newsletter there to keep them up to date. It can be seen pretty simple to maintain, but you know, are they always the right people coming on it? You can assess that, but it's the quality of leads that come through that as well. So I'd say that's one side. From a fun side, I'd say it's more difficult from a referral point of view because you're basically saying to a client that may pay you, hey, refer me to someone else. So looking out there a little bit more at the incentive schemes for referral programs, what's market standard? Is there anything else that we can increase our presence with? Is that a cash reward or is that more trials or is that more access to certain parts of the platform that they do? A lot of people miss that. And we certainly have as well. You know, as I would say, we're still at a very early stage, but you've got to split up the demographics of your client pools completely differently because they are not going to work in the same way. Okay. So split up the demographics. And then within that, it seems like you have to kind of qualify on both ends, like making sure that- It's hard, right? It's it's almost sort of like, again, I don't like the phrase, like social reputation in the startup community, right? Because you need that. Mm. And if we're talking about what I was just mentioning, if I go to a fund and say, hey, if you refer me to someone else and I'll give you X percent of whatever the new client's going to pay me, a founder is definitely going to be more interested in that, depending on who the founder is and where they operate. Than a fund is because they're an institutional vehicle at the end of the day. Understanding those communities and understanding those incentives is really key. So what did you do to kind of help you understand which incentives would be most useful to different types of companies that you're potentially working with? Well, on the startup side, we put in place a pretty, and we still do a pretty market standard sort of referral function for people to come through. And that's good up to a certain point when you realize the effectiveness of leads that are coming through. As from a business model point of view, it's a little bit different because we've had to place more emphasis on the investor side and help as many founders, obviously, as possible. And there have been hundreds that we have helped. But you know, when you're scaling a little bit or early at scale, you need to know where to put, obviously, your commercial resources. From a fun point of view, I'd say it's still something that we're definitely trying to work out. The reason being, we're focusing a little bit more enterprisey than we are SaaS basis at the moment. So fewer contracts, but larger amounts of 
of you know support that we provide with them as well and more hands-on approaches. Frankly, a lot of the leads that we have come through have come through some very specific partners that we work with overseas. And the big thing for that, just again, from more a trend perspective for us is emerging markets. So going out of our comfort zone, I suppose you could say, and going out of our immediate geographical boundary to look mm-hmm. overseas to, hey, it's, it's, it's a bit of a different thing, but in our market, where's regulation changed? What country, you know, Asia is a good example as a collective sort of continent that where have the registrations changed recently to allow funds over there to invest into the EU and to invest in the UK and the US, for example. So if you pick up a little bit of these wavelengths and you find a really good local partner in some countries, which we do, you know, that's become very interesting from us to, to operate a little bit more in wider markets. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good trick because I've seen this before where different types of B2B companies kind of exist on like a spectrum. Yeah. On the one end, you've got technically a B2B SaaS but you've got like thousands of different potential customers and you're maybe selling like a high volume, like low cost product. And then like on the other opposite end of that, maybe you have an enterprise package or you're selling primarily to enterprise and you have like these very few potential customers in your target market and these very long sales cycles and just marketing looks very, very different. And it's harder to kind of break into that. The first B2B SaaS company that I worked with as a content writer that was kind of the situation we were in where we were just only selling to like these really big Fortune 1000 companies. So marketing was really, really tricky for that because there's only so much you can do to influence how this kind of machine works. It's really yeah. understanding your client segment and actually to give you know, so we were backed late 2020 by one of Europe's biggest B2B investors called Startup Wise Guys. They also run an accelerator. And I distinctly remember doing a week of market engineering on exactly this, which was really to look at your SEO, look at the keywords, look at who's out there. And really bluntly ask yourself, are you focusing on a demographic that are going to want what you do? And you're not going to obviously get all the answers from that as well. But, you know, if you're doing that with someone external who probably has an understanding of the industry, but is not too direct, they will really push you on those questions. And, Mm -hmm. you know, look at how many search results are coming out. You know, understand, is this pitching going to work? You know, do some feedback with some people in the industry from that, you know, would be open, but may not use your software or your package or whatever for the time being as well. And Mm -hmm. It's one thing you learn before product market fit, which, you know, for many founders will come at many different points in their journey, but it's it's really, if you're focusing on the wrong segment for too long and you're not actually doing that segmentation, you're not doing that market engineering, it's going to become a huge pain. Yeah. And I think specifically for these kind of B2B enterprise deals that your company is kind of formed around, leveraging the networking aspect could be a really powerful entry point because it's just very difficult to get to those top decision makers which is who you need to be talking to and influence them in a way that's going to be useful for your company. So do you have any tricks or any tips on how to kind of break into those ecosystems? Again, I think, as you say, a lot of this comes back to the network effect at the end of the day and to be able to come through. I mean, one thing coming through really does come back to this content, getting your name out there. Don't be afraid to talk about what you think about. I think it's definitely one of the main ways on getting your message out there, panels, and really just interacting. I know a a huge number of people that will turn up at demo days, for example, and really just try to interact with a few other people that are attending. So that'd be other investors, advisors. That's been a thing for us as well. So if you're attending a plug-in play or a Techstars demo day, for example, you know you're going to be in the same room as those curated groups. You know, that's a big thing. Second thing, there are it's more more platforms to leverage. Lunch Club, you know, AI uh, networking platform, for example, it's been it's been really useful for us. I haven't used it as much recently, but 
at least through the pandemic, has been a huge central settings to get clients, to get referrals and to get other clients coming in. So we've definitely leveraged a lot of that as well. Three is definitely more the segmentation on the partnerships process and the network that you've already got. Even just getting an export of your LinkedIn, having, you know, spending a good few hours, I think uh, I've done several times looking at the demographics and looking where people have moved around. Even just getting a highlight of industries at the end of the day to know, shall I focus a little bit more and who else may they know to be able to go through has been quite an interesting thing for us as well. And I think a lot of founders out there, people do want to have an update of what you're doing and doing a quarterly update at least on your product changes or at least your positioning changes and maybe how your services have changed as well because I appreciate a few different audiences maybe listening to this. It's not a bad thing, but you know, you're still relevant, you're still there. And that's what you want to be known for. Right. So it's kind of like knowing who's in your network, making sure that you know what has changed within your network and using that to maintain the relationships and then making sure that the other people in your network know kind of what's changing in your company. What's your Think how the LinkedIn what, algorithm works, right? You know, right, right. you click something, you will see it have a post that you may not have ever thought about. But, you know, what's to say you can't connect with that person because you've got a strong connection in between? You know, Twitter, a little bit different. And again, I don't use it so much. I probably probably should just becoming that person that becomes known for whatever topic is quite a you know is, is a very important thing that I don't think many people do okay so are there any potential pitfalls with building a network in general whether it's like you know with potential people you want to have as customers or just like potential partners I think there's two things I think one's definitely uh, well there's quality of network and there's maintenance at the end of the day mm-hmm. one's quality is knowing that you've actually got the the right network coming through to you at the end of the day because if you have got a number of followers or you're interacting with a lot of people that are not in the same space as you and you know bluntly are never going to become a commercial partner or send you you know good referrals well you've really you know got to think about what use is this bringing me if you're lucky enough to have a team that can help you of that sure you know you might be in a more fortunate position but it depends obviously how big your business is at the end of the day as well so quality huge thing to maintenance I'd say much more on the side of actually, can you maintain keeping up to date, you know, everyone out there, what you're doing? Can you make an effort to go travel conferences or just attending events and making sure you're going up there as well? Because there's nothing worse than having six months of conversations or just getting content out there for you to go cold for nine months and then to try and start again. And actually all that hard work's gone. Yeah. Do you have any practical tips for sort of keeping up with that and making sure it less is definitely more, less is more, you know, focus Mm. intrinsically. Anyone who's typing market engineering sprint on Google, I'm sure very, you know, a number of good exercises come around. I've gone with some more proprietary sort of methods before. But, you know, actually, first of all, knowing stage one, you know, knowing your segment, are you focusing on the right person? I'm pretty sure 90% of people know in terms of what their segment is and the right people they're working with. And then to curate it, getting that going, connecting with people, creating the content, getting them on just a MailChimp, you know, simply at the end of the day. And three, maintaining that much more. Can you keep up with this? And, you know, can you schedule an hour, maybe every other week or once a month or whatever, or a couple hours whatever it is to make sure that they remember you because if not all of that good work is going to go right okay i think that makes a lot of sense and i really appreciate your insights alex we've definitely got to use these tips to keep our networks up to date <laughs> uh make sure that we are You're not on lunch uh, club get on lunch club so yeah know. yeah i haven't heard very many like marketers or founders talk about using platforms like lunch club and if anybody listening to this hasn't heard of it it's a networking platform where it automatically matches you with a person that might be relevant for you to meet on a weekly basis. I haven't heard of people using that as a good tool for 
building up their it really networks. It, it can be, yeah. really, you know, again, I do think it works, but again, it really comes down to, I think, how much interaction you're doing. And if you go out there, you're trying to sell at the end of the day. It's not always the best way to do it. I think it's creating, right. you know, going back to creating those relationships. Right. So just kind of doing it a lot is kind of the trick to success with that. And then following up with the people who are a good being fit relevant, for you. Being inquisitive. Okay. Awesome. Alex, this was an awesome interview. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. And before we go, I just want to shine a spotlight on you. Any projects that you're working on, anything you'd like people to know and anywhere that you'd like people to get in touch with you? We've helped hundreds of founders and you know wherever they are, we, we work with founders and funds in 50 different countries. So if anyone wants to get in touch, it's pretty easy. It's www.kaiku, which is K-A-I-K. You.co. My email's alex at kaiku.co. It's not that hard. Drop me a message or drop me something on LinkedIn and we'd be really happy to help out. So uh, Kira, thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. All right. I really enjoyed it too. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Forward Launch Your SaaS. If you'd like summaries, show notes, transcripts, downloads, and other helpful links and resources to help you implement the tactics you've heard here, then you can one, go to forwardlauncherSAS.com and two, subscribe to our email newsletter. Lastly, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, colleagues, and neighbors and head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.